0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 178 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands-On Gloves, all-in-one shedding, bathing, and grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we go from gypsy vanners to happy trails. This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I always have my producer Jen with me. How are you, Jen? I'm doing fabulous, and I have to give you a shout-out, a thank you, a Daily Winnie. Really? I get a Daily Winnie? Yes, you do. (laughs) What'd I do? A while back
2: on, I don't remember which show it was, and I don't remember if it was... You're Jamie, or if it guys. was with Monty, okay. but one of the two of them, or maybe it was a conversation between the two of them. I'm pretty sure it was Monty discussing uh, horses who get a little barn sour or have a mm-hmm. tendency to drift towards the gate, etc. Mm-hmm. And he suggested backing the horse through the gate. Ah, yes. When you're done riding, a very good tip. And yeah. Nigel when I ride him in the arena or in his pasture, tends to drift gently towards the gate. (laughs) He's not bad about it. It's It's not exciting. It's just gently, just just a little bit. So Mm -hmm. obviously he wanted to go there. So I said, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And Mm -hmm. I've been doing it consistently. Every single time I leave an enclosed area where I ride him, whether it's mm-hmm. a round pen, a pasture, or an arena, whatever, we okay. always back through the gate. And how is he for backing up? Well, he's he knew how to back up perfectly well when I got him. As a matter of fact, he backed up too much when I got him. Oh,
1: <laughs> um, he like used, out of a trailer? or something? Well,
2: that, that's completely separate. But <laughs> okay. what he he tended to do is he used it as an evasion. Right. Um. He would whenever he would do a downward transition or a, a halt, he would tuck his chin into his chest and back up on his forehand. Oh, funny. Yeah. because he'd, he'd been backed improperly. Mm-hmm. So he would tuck his chin in and get away from the bit and just fall on his forehead, and it was ugly. So I very rarely backed him because it was an ugly, stained process for him. Ah, but I started I doing this and I was very, very careful to give him aids that let him want to back up because like that little thing about a great trainer can cause a horse to want to do the correct mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. And what I've noticed happening because I've been doing this very consistently for about six months he backs obediently and carefully and intelligently all the time now. Anytime I ask him to back up, he says, oh, I know exactly what you want. Because he was practicing backing up mm-hmm. under circumstances where he wanted to get where he was going. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I want to back up because I want to go through that gate. Well, now when I back him, ask him for a rain back or a back, mm-hmm. and we're not going through a gate, his back is Hundred times better, better,
1: yay! <laughs> that's great. Unintended that's great. bonus, exactly. I, that's a freebie right there for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I'm so glad they brought that up because it is. I think it's magic. It's like the mounting block it, it is magic. So mounting block lesson, people should go to the online university, MontyRobertsUniversity.com, because. Who doesn't teach this stuff? People should be teaching mounting block lessons and you don't necessarily need a nice, pretty little step up. A log will do it. The back of a pickup bumper will do it. You know, anything that gets you a little elevation, even uphill, but get your horse to be cooperating, knowing where that that stirrup needs to go, Mm -hmm. whatever stirrup it is. Here's the deal though. When you put that leg over the saddle, Take two steps back. Pretty soon, the horse either won't move, which is actually the goal, or will actually take his own step back. And it's so cute because they just become habituated to that. But how many people do we know say, okay, stand back. I'm throwing my leg over. Here we come. (laughs) And they're out the door. Yes, and and
2: that can be really quite dangerous if you have a Uh, horse that is unable to physically and mentally be still when you mount.
1: And it is one of the most common reasons for injuries between horse and people. You know, and who would have guessed that? They would falling off or something. No, it's actually mounting. Dismounting a little bit too, but mostly mounting. And it's because of the speed thing. When you're dismounting, usually they're home and they're like, fine. (laughs) Right. right. When you're when you're charging out the gate, you know, it's so what you're doing by backing out of the gates and by you know, making him work essentially. Backing up is more work for horses, isn't it? Because they don't back up. In nature, really, doesn't. Well, yeah, call the only for time you back.
2: they back up in nature is one of their herd mates is saying, You get yeah. out of my space. And they're waggling their horse finger at them.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: it's not happy making. So it
1: it yeah. is work. In their brains, it's like, ugh. So yeah. doing those those few steps back, I'm that's what you're talking. So I'm just reiterating what you're saying. But uh, those few steps back is a let's call it kind of a consequence. It's not really punishment or a discipline. It's just a habituation that makes them, their brain think about what they need to be doing. And it's a great, it's a great presence moment without you really doing any. And I'm glad you have a bonus of a prettier backup now too. That's, he's that's
2: he's obedient. He's thoughtful. It's not, it's not the stained tainted. Ugh, that's ugly. <laughs> I mean, we got from point A to point B or from point B to point A, but, it is not, he didn't have the mindset that I wanted. He didn't have the physical um, carriage that I wanted. None of those things, there was nothing quality about it. And mm-hmm. that simple process of doing it regularly and consistently helped him relearn that skill mm-hmm. with, and it's actually, you know, it's actually a positive thing for him mm-hmm. to being That's asked to back up.
1: Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, good for you. And, and a lot of people won't practice that because like, why? You know, I have a lot of girlfriends who just are, you know, they just want to go. And, uh, you know, what's the point of well, there's there you go. The point them. is not only making it a little more comfortable building up some of those reverse sure. muscles, Well, there, there's physical mm-hmm.
2: skills, their mm-hmm. proprioception skills, not mm-hmm. to mention the fact at some point, even if you're just a happy hacker. Mm -hmm. The likelihood of that horse getting into a spot, either with you or someone else, or if Mm -hmm. he gets loose, where being able to back up intelligently could save him from injury or harm,
1: it's very, I'm sorry, it's a good skill to have. It is. Good for you. And thanks for pointing it out. Well, I'm looking forward to this next uh, session, segment uh, on Gypsy Vanners. And we have all the history On it, and we have a very interesting guy to deliver that history. He's actually the founder of the breed. Dun, dun, dun.
2: And we're going to do that right after we hear from another innovator hands on gloves.
0: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary new all in one shedding, bathing, grooming tool hands on gloves? They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles, and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. They are easy to clean, and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. Hands-On is changing the way we bathe, de-shed, and groom our animals forever. Hands-On gloves. They are fantastic.
1: Raised in the picturesque farm country of Indiana, Dennis Thompson's entire personal and professional life has involved loving animals and innovation of products for animals. It is, in fact, unlikely that you could walk into any pet or tax store in the world without seeing something conceived by Dennis Thompson. Dennis took companies from garage beginnings to internationally recognized brands such as Quicksilver Shampoo and the Hamilton Halters. That's just two. Dennis met fellow pet product professional and animal lover Cindy Turgeson at a pet convention in Dallas. Married in 1990... Two passions for animals became one, and no one to say no. Dennis and Cindy's love for animals was so profound that the Outdoor Life Network produced a national television program about their extraordinary relationship. In 1995, on a business trip to Great Britain, Cindy noticed a little black and white stallion as they drove through the English countryside. The rest, of course, is Gypsy Vanner history. Well, welcome. Dennis Thompson, thanks for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. How are you?
3: Thank you, Debbie. It's my pleasure. Yeah.
1: yeah, It really is mine because I've been hearing about you, and so we finally got to meet by phone. I hope I get to be out there in Ocala, Florida. How's everything out there in mid-season where everybody else wants to be in the country right now?
3: It's glorious right now. Okay. It really is. It's in the 70s, like low 70s maybe, and sunshine. shining. I've got Gypsy vanner horses all around me. Life oh is good.
1: Life is yes. really good. Yeah. And so yeah. says TripAdvisor, too. Uh, the reason I wanted to have yeah. you on is because you do have a wonderful background, not only in yeah. horses, but also animals in general. And we're going to get into that. A yeah. little bit. I'm going to ask you a little bit about your personal and yeah. professional life uh, growing up. Right. But um, right. the first thing, first thing I wanted to say is I had several different people tell me about Gypsy Gold Farm in Ocala, and I now I'm looking at everything. And the TripAdvisor gives you like five, you know, stars. It's you're, you've got 793 reviews. Do you do a lot of business on tours there in Ocala?
3: We were doing uh, about a thousand people a month. And wow. growing by twenty to one hundred percent per month, and then COVID hit, and now, you sure. know of course that depressed it and and we're making adjustments to regain that, and it'll you know we'll regain it anyway with the you know once of course we get past this this unfortunate mm-hmm. period in time but sure. uh, but we're we're creating well, all of our tours are done outside, but I'm creating a new area uh, called the New Forest, and in England. Uh, The new forest is where you can find a lot of gypsies and, and uh, our new forest will have a stage area called the Kushtibak Center. And there will be uh, campfires uh, where people sit around and these campfires are in the names of, uh, Oh, famous gypsy breeders. Mm -hmm. And um, they'll of course, listen to my tours. Uh, I mean, I'll conduct the tours from the stage and everything, but behind these people, there'll be a fence row full of all different color bougainvillea and and they'll the walk through a fence and they'll be able to sit and interact with baby llamas and baby donkeys and things like that gotcha. uh, i have my my tours are very educational and so little kids uh you know that we give them something to color and all that type of thing and i just think we could be more creative than that so we're Creating a place called the Kleinen Zoo, and Kleinen is Norwegian for petting, and Zoo Z U is oh. Celtic for Z O O, and it's a kind words. It's a kind words zoo. So there'll be a Mister Rogers quote, you know, above Aww. the entrance, and there'll be there'll be two goats in there named Nice and Kind. Uh, nice is what you do, kind is who you are, and a little donkey called Mister Rogers, and and they'll uh-huh. they'll be, be taught the importance of kind words by retired teachers from the villages.
1: Oh my gosh! Can you
3: franchise
1: yeah, cool, huh? this? Because I think this sounds like we need it all yeah. over the country. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I got another one that is similar to that uh, called Wisdom Walkers. We we have a trail here called the Viking Trail. When you walk a Viking Trail, you must leave one prejudice behind and uh-huh. take at least one new idea with you. And there'll be it's an evolution and keepsake photos. So there'll be donkeys and llamas and uh-huh. goats and gypsy vanner horses named after human virtues and children will truck with them or ride them and docents or teachers will teach them the animal's name and at the end of the trail they'll get a keepsake photo sent to them digitally that says i know empathy i know compassion i know kindness with the definition of the word inset into the picture so we got some neat stuff going on you sure
1: do you're such a creative person i'm sure everybody that loves horses is just going sigh where has this guy been all my life so Watch out. Watch out for the dates. Now I I know that I know that you're a serial entrepreneur and I I love that about you, but I love it even more that you have been involved with loving animals and and the innovation of animal products your whole life. Tell us a little bit. I mean, people will recognize Hamilton halters. I remember since we have our own patented halter yeah. hamilton halters sure. was the name that we heard coming out of florida uh, oh globally yeah. really it really was not just nationally yeah. when yeah, um,
3: i think it was probably yeah. largest in the world at one time
1: yeah i think you're probably right um, yeah
3: but I, i'll try to give you a real quick background um mm. of course originally indiana country boy and my my first home was a one-room chicken coop mm. uh with uh wood heat and no water pump jack outside and uh two by four bunk beds but with parents that were loving and not defined by the chicken coop. And, and my mother wound up with the first McDonald's in America with a hitching post in Amish country in Indiana. And my father's master's thesis was turned into a text for high school industrial arts. I was an extreme animal lover as a child and encouraged to be. My mother would quiz me every day. And, uh, they called me the guppy god in the fourth grade because I'd take mason jars full of baby guppies to go and sell them for a nickel piece. Nah. And I hung out at pet, pet stores. And when I, I think I was 18 when one of those stores asked me to work for him. And it was owned by the man who invented kitty litter, Ed Lowe. Yeah. Uh, he wound up being one of the richest men in the world. And I wound up managing his stores. And then I uh, spent the next uh, over 30 years uh, designing products for animals and setting distribution internationally. And Hamilton is one of those course quicksilver shampoo and be nice halters. Right. Uh Tetraman fish food. i three out of four of the ones I just named were in garages when I took them national in nineteen seventy eight. Yeah. So uh, so it was uh, you know deep passion, deep passion mm-hmm. uh, for animals and, and I married a woman in nineteen ninety that shared it yeah. and in five years we had approximately seven hundred animals. Okay. Uh, and uh, we live where Paparelli lives. Mm-hmm. and it was all set up for exotic animals, and there's a giraffe barn on his place, and there was 48 indoor-outdoor aviaries and and 150 acres, 8-foot chain-link fence, and it was, you know, it was just, well, it was a private zoo. Yeah. And uh, we, yeah, and we traveled all over the world together, uh, and we would spend any personal time doing research on animals, and that's how this Gypsy horse adventure came to be. Yeah, we tell, were we're doing us, research tell us
1: about yeah. Meaning that first that first
3: little yeah, black and yeah. white. Yeah. Well, well, we we had uh, stopped by a Shire Center in, in London. And uh, they were closed for the season. They said, if you'll come back and have dinner with us in our pub, we'll give you a private tour. And, of course, we, dinner was at the pub. And the private tour was by a man named Phil Ball, who had been an, a professional horseman for 30 years, drove the Courage Brewery Hitch, worked with big horses. And he had a couple of Shires at the center that he... Uh, were his and he had a two-year-old filly he was in love with, but he'd sell us that horse for fifteen hundred pounds as one point seven zero exchange rate at the time, twenty five hundred bucks, and with seven hundred animals we could be a little impulsive, and you know we thought we wanted to buy her, yeah, but but we had never imported a horse, so we yeah. there was uh, some things we need to learn before we committed to that horse, and he told us that even though it's known as the English Shire, he said it's the farmers in Northern Wales that have a generational passion for the big horses. So off we go to northern Wales for the weekend and spend a lot of time in Old Stone Barns and the breath of the horses and the cold air and the accents of the Welsh farmer, wine and cheese at night. It was it was terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but anyway, we're That's driving wonderful. through yeah, it was it was great. We're driving through Wales discussing the cons of owning the largest horse in the world. And we passed, I mean we passed back into England near Western England. We're in the countryside and we went through a roundabout and Cindy said, did you see that little black and white horse? And I said, no, do you want me to go back? And she said, no. And then she changed her mind and she said, yeah, let's do. So I turned around and went back and parked on the side of the road and the little horse saw us and he came running as hard as he could to say hello to us. And we both fell in love with him. He he looked like a little shire, didn't have any of those negative features we were just discussing and and he was black and white to boot. Mm -hmm. So we thought we'll buy him. We can justify doing something stupid as long as nobody else has one. And I hadn't seen a horse like that. So we drove up the driveway and introduced ourselves to the farmer where the horse was. I have a picture of that moment on oh. on a wall in a in a tour room here. Oh. Yeah, pretty neat. And the farmer explained it was not his horse. He was only keeping it for a few days and it belonged to a traveler. I didn't ask him what a traveler was. And about 10 minutes in the conversation, he said, and he has a band of mares, so it's just like him that he keeps hidden. I said, uh, of course, Cindy and I had extensive animal breed background, and I, I've never, I never, I didn't know any breed that looks like that. So I said they can't possibly look just like this horse. And he said, I assure you, they do. And and of course, Cindy and I looked at each other, and and I said, can we meet this man? And the farmer got in touch with him by cell phone. The gentleman came over. His name was Roy Evans, and uh, we spoke with Roy for a few minutes, and he invited us to his caravan took a few steps towards his vehicle, looked back and said, don't worry, it's respectable. Mm. I hadn't heard that in Amish country. So we got in our car and (laughs) laughed about it and said, some things are worth dying for. I said, we'll follow this guy. So we followed him to a gypsy camp uh, that we would later find out is called a caravan site. And we would find out in 1968, there was an act called the Caravan Act by the British government. And they did basically what we did to the American Indian. They created reservations so there's a hundred of them throughout Great Britain. They're called caravan sites in England, halt sites in Ireland. And um, so the general public doesn't go in caravan sites and nor, nor do the police unless they're in pursuit. And we don't know that, so we can go anywhere. You know, I tell people on my tours, ignorance is bliss, you know? Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we spent the day with Roy and his wife and uh, they couldn't have been any nicer. They made us tea and gave us cookies and Roy bragged on his horse all day. And towards the end of the day, He said he's one-off. He said, look all you want. He said, you won't find any better. And if you do, he said, he's going to cost you a lot of money. He said, I'll tell you a place where you'll see hundreds of colored horses, but none as good as mine. He said, you go there, and then you call me after you go there. You tell me if you found one as good as mine. He said, don't forget to call me. Mm -hmm. So through Roy's invitation, we became the first Americans to ever attend Appleby Horse Fair, Mm -hmm. over 330, oldest gypsy horse fair in the world. 10,000 gypsies gather on a hill called Fair Hill to reacquaint with family and friends and trade in horses. And we were there for 10 days before it opened and after it ended, obsessed with identifying every gypsy that bought or sold a quality-looking horse. Mm-hmm. We introduced ourselves to those people, documented contact information, which would be cell phones. And thereafter began a journey to understand gypsies and their horses that lasted the next four years. Mm-hmm. So we traced that original horse's history through three countries. Now I'm going to insert something really fascinating here. Okay. So Roy Evans, I hadn't talked to Roy Evans in 25 years. I, I Gypsy's only deal in cash,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and I negotiated the deal. It took a long time. It took two years to buy this horse's name was the Log because he looked like a log, and it took two years to buy the Log. and And uh, I, I negotiated the deal on the phone and couldn't go back right then, and so I sent thousands of dollars to Phil Ball, the manager of the Shire Center. Uh, I didn't know Phil at all, but I took a chance. And I said, take this money and go buy that horse and bring him back to the Shire Center, and we'll figure out how to get him imported. And when Phil handed Roy Evans the money, Roy had tears in his eyes, and he said, Cushtibok. And uh, that same year, we got a Christmas card from a gypsy couple that we'd met at Appleby Horse Fair. And and they don't read and write, most of them. So we're mm-hmm. surprised to get a Christmas card. And all it said was Cushtibok. So we thought that's the perfect name for the first of a breed. So uh. the log became Cush-T-Bock, um GV00001. And uh, he got here Easter Sunday, 1997. But again, I hadn't heard, I hadn't talked to Roy Evans since that first day I met him. And uh, February of 2020, I get a Facebook post from a guy named Billy Evans. He said, uh, I'm looking for a horse named the log. Mm. He said, I've been looking for two, two months. He said, any chance you have him? And I said, I do. I said, he's buried on my farm. And he said, he used to belong to my granddad, Roy Evans. He said, and Roy talks about him a lot. And he said, he has this picture over his fireplace. And he said, he's requested that he'd be buried with that picture or, or the picture be buried with him. Sure. And so this 25 years later, so, uh, Man. It's an emotional thing to these men. You know, they love their horses. And, they
1: love their horses. Uh,
3: have, yeah. Yeah. They have a tremendous passion for them.
1: So, what I'm hearing is, and a lot of people mm-hmm. might not know this, that you were the mm-hmm. first importer of the and mm-hmm. named the breed Gypsy Vanner.
3: Yeah. Am I right? Well, yes. Uh, there's that almost takes a segment to you know <laughs> to understand the details of that. But mm-hmm. uh, I am all those things. So we traced the original horse's history through three countries. We found his mother and father in Wales and his grandparents in Ireland, all mm-hmm. raised by gypsies, focused on producing a horse to look like the log uh, that was unknown anywhere in the world outside the world of gypsies. Uh, we stood overlooking the Irish Sea with the the log's DNA verified father and the gypsy that raised him, and he pointed to a clearing under a tree. He said he was born right over there. He said, I'll never forget the day he was born. I held him in my arms, and I knew he was special. He wow. said he's the best colt I ever raised. And he took us in his caravan that day, and he gave us a book on Appleby Horse Fair and opened it up to a page that showed two of his sons ponying three yearling colts through the River Eden in Appleby, England. And wow. the lead colt was the log. As a yearling, he sold to Roy Evans for 7,000 pounds, $12,500. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of money and that, that nobody knew about. It was within, I mean, uh, well, it was exclusive to that unique, colorful culture. Mm-hmm. But we traced the inspiration of the breed back to two steins that existed right after World War II, Sonny Mays and the Cohorse. Horse we identified most of the great stallions and mares that came over the next 60 years we assisted in naming their breed gypsy vanner horse we established the world's first registry for a selectively bred horse raised by british gypsies and imported the first 16 to north america so it was a, it was a life changing effort we didn't buy one horse for 2 years as we understood what the breed was and was not and found homes for 700 animals over the next 2 years we transferred that investment into buying Two out of three of the best stallions we ever found, and 14 mares. Eleven of the 14 mares are daughters of the best three stallions we ever found, and two of her granddaughters are granddaughters of one of the breed's greatest stars called the lobbeard horse. He'd lob his ear to the side when he looked at you. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was quite an effort. Uh, what
1: What is your, and, Dennis, what is your vision, and 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 what's the progress being made on this breed now since we know how new it is? It's, it's got to be one yeah, of the newest. Yeah. newest yeah. Uh,
3: oh, it must be, yeah. Ah, you know, I tell people, you know, the day after we met the log, we were on a plane eight hours from London to New York and I was 46 and she was 42 and, and we had 700 animals at home. Hmm. And I said, I said to her on that plane, I said, did we just discover a breed of horse? You and me, you know, a couple of freaks. I mean, it was weird. (laughs) You know, it didn't seem probable in 1995, you know, yeah, and, um, We didn't know for sure, but uh, there were some profound things we did know on that plane. And and for Cindy, I I can see it in her face as I talk to you, uh, how serious she knew that we should walk towards this or away from it, that it would change our life forever. And and, uh, we both knew on that plane that if we walk towards it, we were walking into a culture that didn't invite us and one that's been treated poorly for a long time. And we didn't know then how long, but we do now, it's been over a thousand years. So there's a responsibility that comes from, I mean, with a task of establishing a breed connected to that type of culture that is, uh, I, you know, it's, it has more responsibility connected to it than than it otherwise might might have, you mm-hmm. know. So we wrote a mission, To bring honor recognition and a better understanding to one of the world's most colorful least understood societies and the horses they so dearly love Mm -hmm. by respecting the spoken words of gypsies who have dedicated lifetimes in a pursuit of a dream to create the perfect horse to pull their caravan to remain quality-based culturally sensitive and socially responsible and i achieve that i try to achieve that four days a week And uh, those are arbitrary words, and everybody would achieve them in their own way. That's the original mission statement of the Gypsy Vanner Horse Society. So we added four straightforward goals. Establish a breed with the look they envisioned, with the genetics that created the look, DNA verified whenever possible, with the feelings of status and pride that they only feel for their selectively bred horses, preserved and in direct parallel to the value they place on their selectively bred horses. So intimately understand. What you stumbled on and don't change anything, you know, mm-hmm. play it forward for guys like Roy Evans, you know, Man, and, that's and that's back awesome. in, I say selectively bred a lot because back in 1995, I'd say approximately 80% of the horses were not selectively bred. They were, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're raised for a different industry, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Cross, what a cross legacy.
1: What a legacy you're yeah. leaving. I, I I'm just amazed that this has just been going on. For for those who who've not really been about around a gypsy vanner or, or know what we're talking about, tell me a little bit about their temperament and why why you love them.
3: Can you hear that noise behind me? A little is rattling that? of <laughs> <I do. laughs> somebody a, somebody a baby asking gypsy for van something. Horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wanting to get in on the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little filly named Mary. Yeah. Oh. GG Kiss Me Mary. She's playing with a little cup, but, uh, and her full sister is the winniest gypsy vanner horse in a breed's mare in the breed's history. Her name is Gigi Kiss Me Kate. Um, so, uh, I coined the phrase golden retriever with hooves. <laughs> so I, I believe that the gypsy vanner horse surely has to be, if not the most gentle, it's certainly one of the most gentle breeds, uh, uh, horse breeds that exist, I believe they have. They like humans, so when when I give these tours, I mean they're just always at the fence, want want somebody to pet them or play with them. Babies, even you know how most horse babies can be a little elusive and really don't care to mess with you a whole lot. Uh, not this breed; they're in your lap. You know, they they want they'll come right up to the fence and want you to pet them. And I it's just my theory, but I believe their flea factor. Is less advanced wow. than any breed I've ever been around. So they don't—they don't get there as easy, and they get over it quicker. Mm-hmm. So you know, nice trail horse.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and they're not terribly tall. What's your average Gypsy Vanner there?
3: Well, they—one hundred percent of the first sixteen that came to America are what, what I'll call classic Gypsy Vanner horses, mm-hmm. and primarily that's all there was twenty-five years ago. So fourteen to fifteen hands. 14 to 25 years ago was perfection in the eyes of a gypsy. Um, so a small draft horse, the vision was to create a small shire. Ironically, we were doing research on Shires, but with more hair on their legs, I'll say more color and a sweeter head or more refined head than a draft horse has. they are not a color breed. That needs to be very clear. Some of the most famous sours and dams in the history of this breed are black. Um, So uh, a solid color is not a not a negative at all.
1: Okay, that's is that the throwback from Frisian? You said that there might be a little bit up in Holland or
3: Belgium. There is. Um, Well, the the Frisian, of course, is is the world's first domestic heavy horse, mm -hmm. domestic heavy horse coming from the forest horse. Mm -hmm. And the Romans, the Romans took Frisians uh, as war horses to Great Britain and developed the. Uh, they were involved in the development of the Clydesdale, the Shire, the Dale's Pony, the Fell's Pony, and possibly yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the primary breeds that uh, are involved in the Gypsy Vanner horse are Clydesdale, Shire, and Dale's Pony, and by association from the development of those three, Frisian. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. the original Frisian, not to, not today's Frisian. Not today's Frisian. Yeah.
1: You are a wealth, right. Dennis. I appreciate all this background and I'm sure this is fascinating as uh, fascinating to me as it is to everybody else too. I would love to have you back sometime when you've got maybe a little bit more sure. set up there too, and hear about these different Shangri-Las yeah. that you're setting up. That sounds so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. coming. We have I'm, a, we have a, we have mm-hmm. a hill here for the horses that, that we call fair hill after where the gypsies gather. In oh, yeah. And w- yeah, we bury our signs on one side and mares on the other Norwegian oh. style and, and uh, there'll be a statue of Kushtibach on that hill with four benches around him. And you'll be able to sit uh, with relief images of all 16 of the original horses. And you'll be able to sit and with your iPhone and scan QR codes and bring them out of the ground. So we, we've got a lot of oh, neat, neat oh ideas. yes yeah.
1: You are such yeah. a creative person. I love it. And I just love that you're a horse lover. And I love that you brought those yep. beautiful Tipsy banners over to us. And yep, uh, yep, I look yep. forward to, to keeping up with you. Thanks again for sure. being on our show.
0: Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And I'm coming to you now to talk about the Monty Roberts Online University. You know, there ought to be six months in everybody's life where they just live with their animals. I've been staying home. But three months now, I've been home with this virus thing. And the things I'm learning, we're bringing you a new series, What Horses See how horses see and about horses seeing things. The online university is bringing you the last three years of my learning process, which I promise you is the learningest years I ever spent. The Monty Roberts Online University, uh, you won't miss a minute of it if you get started on it. I love bringing it to you And it's my shot to take my concepts to the next generation.
1: Hi, Lori. This is Lori Jackson. Welcome to Flag is Up Farms. Lori is from Happy Trails Farm Animal Sanctuary, and it's an incorporated
4: sanctuary in Ohio. How are you? Hi, Debbie. I'm fine. Glad to be here. Excited to be here. Been here almost three weeks now and um, beautiful place. I'm very blessed.
1: Oh, you are blessed to be out of Ohio for these weeks. It's been frozen as we record this. It's been a freezing. Nationally, it's been pretty freezing, but we have had some nice California weather and I can't believe you've been here three weeks already. Tell, tell me what's changed in those three weeks for you
4: where do i start oh (laughs) first of all i only hear from uh, my family about the polar vortex that's going on because luckily maybe limited wi-fi no tv here so i'm just immersed in this beautiful place um what has changed um my perspective on a lot of things Mm. i love um Monty's methods, and I love the nonviolence, and I am blown away by how his methods translate to people.
1: What a great observation. I guess somebody who's been here for three weeks would finally observe that too, but I think a lot of people just think, you know, horse trainer and um, nice farm and and maybe one discipline or another, but that's a nice observation. What parts of people were you affecting? Because you're an intern here, and I should explain that you're here as the executive director, but you're also here to learn. And I, I, I'm blown away that you're actually submitting um, to a teacher, you know, somebody that you didn't know and And um, we've been fortunate to um, have you here to work with Simon Duinville from South Africa, who is our resident instructor right now, but also with um, the students that have come and gone through here and also with the horses. So tell me a little bit about how the horses have progressed maybe over the last three weeks too.
4: Yes. um Yes. We are members of the Right Horse Initiative, we're adoption partners, and so it was nice to meet Elizabeth from Win Place Home. A lot of the horses that we're working with are through that transition Mm -hmm. um, spot. And so I have seen, just using the horses each in the classes and and, um, going through the dually work, I'm noticing the horses find their place, calm down, um just be more willing participants in the groundwork and the horses that are coming in are thoroughbreds they're race horses and so they have that um they're energetic that's for sure <laughs> they are energetic yes that's a good word energy about them mm-hmm. and they just kind of don't know Am I doing right? Am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of them have been told wrong, and if Mm -hmm. they're doing right, they just move ahead. So the methods and the reward Mm -hmm. and the concise... Clear and concise communication with them—it just really calms them. Mm -hmm. It's really great to see. Nice. So, what? It's—it's so wonderful
1: that you're out here and in submitting yourself to three weeks away from your family too. I mean, people have to think about that sacrifice too. You've got a lot of work back home. How many people can just drop everything with their animals, you know? And and you must have a very supportive person at home. We should thank right now.
4: Absolutely, thank my husband, the love of my life. but also my team, because I put a lot of hard work into creating a culture where um, you make a right decision or we make the decision right. And what that does is give people the autonomy to do their job. Mm. Wow. And you get a lot out of people that way. Um, I do, I am finding that my management style is somewhat parallel to Monty's methods. And so me being here is helping me to fine tune that. Mm. Um, it's a, definitely a partnership. So I have an outstanding team that is running business as usual, um, hitting the hard problems and having the successes without me. And I hope to hear everything when I get home, but it's really a great feeling.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's all handled.
4: I did see,
1: we we had a summit today with the Ride Horse Initiative, funny enough, and um, just coincidentally, but you had a team member on that summit call. So you're right.
4: They are clicking on all cylinders without you. Who was that? That's Audra um, Agnone. She's our equine placement coordinator and um, she was explaining how using the right horse myrighthorse.org is a great way to get our horses out there and it's kind of like a one-stop shop for our horse listings um, so she was explaining that she does she handles all of our equine placement uh, she evaluates our horses mm-hmm. Um, she puts a little training program together for them, and she's my first victim when I get back. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to be teacher, and she's student next, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, tell us a little s- about the horses that are there at your sanctuary, and how you acquire them, and who comes in and looks after them, and I mean, looks for them, you know, wants to adopt them, um, and maybe a little bit about. You know, you you've had a tremendous 2020, and that sounds funny because nobody's saying that these days, right? 2020, I want it to be done, but you you actually look at it through um, wonderful eyes that you had great things happen. Tell us a little bit about how that happened that you were successful.
4: That's a lot. Happy Trails Farm Animal Sanctuary. We are a an organization that works in cooperation with law enforcement, and we take in criminally abused, neglected, and abandoned farm animals and horses. Um, we also also have an Amish horse retirement program, that initiative, and just recently adopted into being a, an owner relinquish initiative. So our horses specifically come in through criminal cases, but also retired from the Amish work and as well as um, owner relinquish now. So, um that being said, we get a conglomeration of horses, mm-hmm. so um, and then the people, the people that that find you, um,
1: how do you yeah, how do you put it out there, and without making it sound like poor horses you know flies in the eyes and the because you don't, you come across very positive
4: well, I always say that. Uh, We really can't do anything about what's happened to them, but we can give them a different future. And so while we may tell the story, we may show a picture here or there, um, we really do like to focus on the outcomes, on the happy endings, new beginnings, I call them. So um, it's just better. It's just happier. You want a happy energy. You want want positive results, so you have to be... Yeah, I'm really excited
1: about what you did in 2020 and what you're doing for people and what you're doing for the animals too. I read recently on your Facebook page, people should go there at Happy Trails Farm Animal Sanctuary. Um, I read that in November of 2020, there's that word again, 2020, um, that you were able to, you, you had, um, an award given to you and, um, I see it here as, Let's see. It says, recently, Executive Director Lori Jackson, along with the founder of This Old Horse, Nancy Turner, got together to discuss capacity of care in a candid and engaging roundtable discussion. Check it out on the GFAST November newsletter. That's cool, Lori.
4: Yes, yes. Um, Also in November, we were given the Outstanding Farmed Animal Sanctuary 2020 Award. So um, I feel like It's been the culmination of all of our hard work crescendoing in 2020. Um, Definitely respect and sympathy for all of the hardships that people have endured and we have as well. I feel like it's important, especially for people who have endured to find the silver linings and the silver linings for our 2020 have been becoming accredited by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, GFAS, and becoming um, designated as a right horse initiative adoption partner. And then icing on the cake was to receive the inaugural award for outstanding farmed animal sanctuary. Oh my gosh. That was the inaugural inaugural award,
1: huh? That's fantastic. So you had a lot of firsts yeah. in 2020.
4: Absolutely and definitely. So um, we were honored especially it was it was four years coming that I've worked for that accreditation through GFAS. Mm-hmm. And so to not only get that but to have them recognize the huge changes that we have made in our organization and our focus um to also be then given that award is it's just really an accomplishment. yeah that's great. That just gives me chills and it's such a
1: good reason that you're doing all this too. I'm, this is an industry. Uh, I'm not a big Academy Awards person, sorry if anybody is but to me you know things like this, this is the Academy Awards this is this is the kind of things that I think our culture uh, and our society could encourage more is animal sanctuary. And, and how do you, um, how do you have to be for the right horse initiative? I know to be an adoption partner, it takes some qualifications, right? What did you feel like, um, was really important to you to choose to be an adoption partner with them?
4: Four years ago, maybe it's been five now, I was attending an equine affair and I saw the table of the right horse. And I was drawn by the sepia tone pictures and the bright orange and leather brown logo um, and the people, Christy, Tex. Um, the the mission, it just all makes sense to me. And I honestly have been chasing after um, a partnership with them for that time, that whole, that whole time. And so recently, um, the ASPCA recognized as well that the Right Horse Initiative is an amazing organization and took them under their umbrella. And so then I was able to uh, take a look at the criteria and be invited into the, what they designate as the warm up ring and follow the outline of the steps to take to become a, an adoption partner. The thing that I like about it is that they invite you into the warm-up ring and they do this with you. They guide you along the way. No need to recreate the wheel. If you need a better application, if you need a better contract, if you need to maybe rethink some of the barriers you have to adoption, they're right there to coach you through all of that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you are done, when you are awarded that designation, you are... An organization that is welcoming, that is conversation-based, and has a solid foundation. And so I love being a part of that network.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Great answer. Yeah, they are super supportive. And I think they're always trying to find the next way to make it easier for all of us to do our jobs, yeah, to get those those horses in training and back out the door again. The whole point the whole mission statement for the right horse I love. I, I agree with you. It was the people that drew me in, too. I thought their passion and their belief system, um, e- even things like euthanasia. I know it's a difficult subject, but um, there are times when horses are and animals are, um, you know, they really are suffering. And I know there are some people out there who do not believe ever in euthanasia, but this is one of those dividers for right horse. I know that they they believe more in the power of um, compassion for horses um, that humans hold in our hands, don't we? We actually hold that power, which is a bit scary, but it's a huge responsibility to both sides. I don't know how you felt about that, but you must have um, leaned on their side of that.
4: Yes, I do. Um, The thing that I say is that there are worse things than death. And horses, animals, are in the here and now. They're either happy or they're not. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we have that power in our hands, we need to be good stewards of that power. And we need to put the animals first and what their needs are. And so if we need to end their suffering, then that's the last act of love. That's
1: a great answer, and um, that's why you run a wonderful ship there at Happy Trails Farm Animal Sanctuary. I hope people will look you up in Ohio, and uh, maybe when it's a little warmer just yet. <laughs> but you happen to be here at Flag Is Up during a really special time for us, and um, it, it involves People Magazine. Funny thing, wasn't it? Just um, a week or so ago, People Magazine came out with uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth on the cover. What did you think about that when you looked inside and saw that Monty, your your mentor here, sort of, um, at least for the concepts,
4: was in her inner circle? When you've made it to the Queen's inner circle, (laughs) you are doing something right, especially when you're in there with her husband. Yeah. (laughs) That's a great definition of inner circle. Yeah. Uh, my husband actually loves People Magazine, so I'm sure that he'll flip through too and say, oh, my wife is there. But it, it's really, wow. I mean, what an accomplishment. What a what a partnership. What a connection. He's just internationally known. And honestly, I think the U.S. needs to wake up a little more to his methods. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, yeah, it's funny that we have...
1: Um, more instructors really outside the, a lot more outside the United States than inside the United States. But you know, there's certain things happening right now that I think might change that a little bit. Jamie Jennings, winning trainer nationally, um, and only been an instructor, uh, in our concepts here a few years really in the whole scheme of things and didn't set out to be a certified instructor either you know just set out to improve her training here too so do you think you're going to take these training methods back and start to um, make a difference in the ohio um, situation for animals that are surrendered
4: that's my plan yeah um we're, I don't think that we're alone in the fact that we put in 27 hours a day and you know priorities we prioritize the best that we can we are an organization that doesn't have a trainer we don't have a trainer we can refer to and so when we run into a horse that has an issue we're kind of stuck yeah. which means the horse is stuck which means there's another life that we have to put on hold because we have to we have a capacity mm-hmm. so I am very excited to take it back because I'm a firm believer that training is in the everyday moments. You're always training a horse, whether you're training them well or you're training them poorly, you're training them, walking them to the pasture or walking them into a stall or having them stand for the farrier or the vet. And a lot of our horses, uh, As I say, if they've not been fed, because we do criminal neglect cases, if they've not been fed, they've probably not been trained. And so um, it's just really important from the moment they get there that they're treated kindly, but they're also uh, given boundaries so that they can feel safe. So these methods, just using the language of Equus, just using what's native to them and, and joining up with them and making that connection really calms any horse down, but specifically horses that have gone through traumas. Um, The methods will be able to be communicated easily, I feel, to my staff and to volunteers. And therefore, with all of us working these same methods, I feel that we will have a solid training program, which means we will have solid horses going out of our facility and finding good homes that will stick.
1: You're such a good student. I have no doubt of that at all. I really have not, but you have to come back and get a little continuing education every once in a while, please. (laughs) We'd love to have you come back and visit and, or send, you know, send other young, um, upstarts out here, you know, to learn under you and, um, out here to see the different kinds of horses that we have too. Um, last question would be concerning the deer. You got to see some wild deer that didn't look so wild. What'd you think?
4: Wow. That's that that's going down in the books for me. Um really cool experience to see the little piece of paradise up here. And it's a testament to the methods, right? Because if not for this language to be able to speak to any flight animals, they wouldn't be here. And they just came in droves, and I tried not to make eye contact, but I wanted to watch, and it's just really beautiful. What a beautiful sight. Mm. It is. Well, it's a beautiful
1: concept, thank you, that um, gentle training really is so much more effective, and it certainly makes more sense for most of us who are just uncomfortable with harsh training. It just doesn't make sense to us. And in fact, it doesn't seem to work too well either. So I'm really glad to be able to share that with you, Lori, and I'm really kind of mixed emotions about you going back already. In a few days, you have to return back, but I'm excited to hear reports back, too, about how your students do, both two-legged and (laughs) four-legged. Thanks for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for having me.
3: Of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
3: Leave this world a better place than the the magic in the language of the herd.
2: Would you do join up with every horse? Monty's answer. No, I do join up with almost every horse, but there are times when I work with horses without doing join up. I have never observed join up to hurt a horse or do it harm in any way. It is my opinion that join up is effective on nearly 99% of the horses I deal with. An orphan is an exception. Orphans generally do not know their own language and join up is difficult and not very effective with them. I do not recommend join up with an aggressive stallion or a horse that is in a state of extreme nervousness like a recently weaned foal or mare. If I am required to load a horse or go to the veterinarian and it is lame, then I would not require it to do join up. So I use join up on virtually every horse I work with, but
1: not 100% of them. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
0: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here?
3: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Bonnie is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two legged and four legged. March, we're coming right up on our Horse Sense and Healing for Veterans and First Responders with Post Traumatic Stress. That's March 5 to 7. Then, then March 12 to 14, we have our intro course module one. That's the first steps to Monty's methods. And then 15 to 26 is the introductory course of horsemanship. That's the full on two week program. And on the 20th, we have another 101, Horsemanship 101. This is where Monty discovered as a teenager studying wild horses in the desert that, and for those people that are new to horses returning after a long break or, or just trying to overcome some fear, these are really fun. This will help you become safe and comfortable around horses. So that horsemanship 101 on the 20th of March. And then in April, we have the intro course module two on April one through three, no fooling. That's the join up course. And then April four through six, we have the introductory course to module three. That's the long lining. That's actually going on right now too in February as we record this. And they're having so much fun. There is so much to do in longlining even like if your horse is too young could be a two-year-old and you're just not ready to put a saddle up on that little guy yet and longlining gets them all in shape and gets them a top line even before you ever sit in the saddle so those are really valuable things and then may we have horsemanship 101 again and that's may 3rd so that's our you know sounds pretty busy for a COVID year i think we're we're growing out of it (laughs)
2: <laughs> We're growing out of it. There we go. Things are hopping at Flag is Up Farms. So if you mm-hmm, could not mm. put all of that to memory, you can find Monty's calendar and tons more at montyroberts.com. You can find the online university, Monty's calendar. You can find the shopping site where you can get the Dooley halters. You can get uh, learning tools, etc., etc., etc. all at montyroberts.com. You can also call the folks at Flag is Up Farms. They go old school, 805-6887. 6288 and for Mm -hmm. details about today's show number 178 go to horsemanshipradio.com and you'll find links photos and more information about today's topics and guests we love your feedback great way to give that feedback is to follow monty roberts on social media on facebook it's monty roberts the one with the little blue check mark on twitter and instagram it's monty underscore roberts and go get the app if you haven't done so already go to your app store for an Android or an iPhone and download the app today. Or you can also listen via your favorite podcatcher, things like iTunes and Spotify. We're there.
1: Mm -hmm. And many thanks to our sponsors too, who are taking advantage of the fact that we went past a half a million people on Facebook, by the way, we're really excited about that. Yeah. So Hands on Gloves is our dear and near title sponsor and Roberts university.com is our show sponsor. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.